0: Bring clarity to each and every one of us here in this place. That we would be clear, most of all, on your incredible love for us, your plans for us, your desires for us, your dreams, your hopes for us. That we would uh, be clear on those in heart, in mind. That we'd take hold of them and live them in our lives. That uh, we would not leave this place being confused about who you are and what you've got in mind for us. So uh, come and bring clarity to each and every one of us. We pray it in Christ. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but there are some times where I look around at what we are doing, and I start to wonder what it's all for. Uh, I remember four and a half, five years ago, I was uh, actually driving down Manchester Road, and the reason I was driving down Manchester Road is because I was here in town interviewing for the, uh, the spot that I now have on the staff here at St. John, and I remember driving down Manchester Road, and I remember just in a few miles of road, uh, seeing all of these great big Beautiful churches, and at first I was kind of impressed by that, and then I started to think. I started to wonder, you know, what, what is this all about? Is, is it just that we're trying to build bigger clubhouses for our members so that we can ultimately get the bragging rights of who's got the best campus on Manchester Road? Is that what this is? Or sometimes when I uh, return home after being on the mission field, and uh, you know, I come back home to all this, and and on the mission field you may have church in a hut, or under a house, or in a tent, and I come home, and and I come home to all this, and I think, you know, is all this really necessary? What are we doing? Do we we really need all this? Maybe you feel that way, too, when you go on vacation, and you you go to a different church, or you go to someone else's church, and and they do things kind of differently there, and you see how they do it, and you go, why do they do things differently than what we do, and, and why do we do what we do, and what is this all about? Anyway, Today, we want to bring clarity to some of that because we know that there's a lot of confusion. In fact, there are these critical voices that have risen up in America pretty much in every venue you can find. I mean, turn on the cable news, it's, it's all critical people. But, but there are also critical voices who have arisen inside and outside of the church who point at the church and say, see, see the church in America is just a scam. You guys have lost what it's all about. You're nothing more than a big business. And they, they look at our budgets, and they look at our campuses, and they look at our big, beautiful spaces, and, and they look at our, our, our comfortable furniture, our mostly comfortable furniture. That gets a little hard there. And, and they look at our technology, and they say, what a waste. You know what? If you took that money and you gave it to poor people, you could change the lives of kids forever. What a scam. And you've heard some of that, and maybe, maybe you wrestle with that in your own spirit, and you wonder, what is, what is this all about? Is this a a scam? Is this a waste? And my answer to you would be, well, that depends. Let's remember out on the mission field, not only do they worship in huts, but they live in huts. And in fact, their huts that they worship in are the nicest huts in the village. It's not too different from here. But let's remember something even greater. It all depends for us on whether we are being fruitful and faithful versus wasteful. It depends on one thing. It depends on whether or not we are clear. On our purpose. See, you can have two identical churches, identical in almost every way, and yet the thing that will distinguish them in God's eyes is whether or not they are clear on their purpose. And the one that is clear will be marked as fruitful and faithful, and the other one will be forever seen as wasteful in God's eyes. That is the difference. And that's why today in this series, Uh, As we begin this series on clarity, and this is going to be a great series, I hope you stick with us for the rest of it. But that's why today we're starting off with with the basic issue, the fundamental issue, the issue of why we exist. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I promise that you're going to leave this place feeling a little more clear about this aspect of of who we are as a church. But before I can get there, I've actually got to start somewhere else. I've got to start back about 2,000 years ago, with this uh, this religious teacher, this rabbi, by the name of Jesus, from a small town called Nazareth. You see, about two thousand years ago, he started making quite a stir, uh, going around teaching people, and uh, and there was a lack of clarity on who Jesus was, for quite a long time. People just weren't sure what he was all about. Uh, some people wondered, you know, is this guy is this guy a a, a good Samaritan, the original good Samaritan, or is he a con man? Is he a grifter? Uh, Some people wondered, is this guy an orthodox religious teacher who's going to teach us from the scriptures, or is this guy a heretic? People wondered, is this guy really a miracle worker doing authentic miracles, or is this a guy just coming out talking about believing in yourself and the power of positive thinking? See, there was a lot of confusion about this person called Jesus for a long time. And in fact, in this room today, some of you may still be confused about who Jesus is, and that's okay. Because a lot of us have been there, and some of us are still there, and we're just glad that you're here, wrestling with us through all of that. Just keep coming back. And I think Jesus will make himself clear to you. But you see, it's, it's crazy, because for a long time, Jesus just let the confusion hang in the air. And then finally, really near the end of his ministry, he starts bringing clarity. I want to take you to one of the places in the Bible where Jesus brings clarity. It's from Luke chapter 19. And uh, it's a story that, that uh, a true story about Jesus encountering a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. So you can go in your Bibles to Luke 19. It's going to be up here on the TV. You can also open up your smartphone and go to uversion.com and uh, you can find a whole menu including the scripture. But watch how Jesus begins to clarify who he is and what he's all about. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Hold on here for a second. Uh, so if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in Sunday school especially, you know there's a song about this guy, right? Zacchaeus? Anyone want to help me out with how it goes? You guys are like doing it around. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? That's kind of high. i start lower next time. Um, uh, so Zacchaeus is this, uh, is this short guy, and that's kind of how we remember him, and, and we'll find out that he is, he is a shorter guy. But that wasn't really his, his main issue. His main issue is that he was a tax collector. And in the ancient world, in, in this uh, culture, tax collectors were turncoats. They were traders. Uh They were people who uh, turned on their people, kind of like that Ryan Peterson guy who just left us to go to Michigan. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Ryan, if you're watching, we are watching, we love you. Uh, uh, so tax collectors were, were guys that actually bought a position— and, uh, and they, they bought a position from the Roman government, and they were allowed to tax the people and collect taxes and send them on to Rome. But here's the thing. It was this, this system of legalized corruption. A lot of developing countries are still like this, where uh, they were legally allowed, as they were taking the, the share of taxes and sending that on to Rome, to collect a cut on top for themselves. They could gouge the people. So these guys were hated. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. But that's not all. He was wealthy which means he was good at his job, which meant it was bad news for everyone who lived in that town because he really knew how to extract everything he could out of these people. So this is not a likable guy, not because he's short. God loves short people. Um, And we'll find out he loves tax collectors too. Look at verse 3. It says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus. Since Jesus was coming that way, he's curious, and he wants to get clarity. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I love this. I must stay at your house today. Not, I could, I probably should. I've got nothing going on. What are you doing for lunch? Jesus says, I must come and stay at your house today. He's giving us clarity already. So he came down, Zacchaeus did at once, and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. People were all upset about this. Uh, Before this, Jesus had done a lot of things that people were mostly okay with. Uh, Before this, in Luke 18, he had talked about prayer and You know, that's good for religious people to talk about prayer. And and he had given this great speech about how kids were loved by God. And he said, let the kids come. And he put his hands on them and blessed them. And everyone's like, oh, Jesus loves kids. Isn't that nice? And and then Jesus healed this blind man. And everyone's like, wow, this guy's got incredible power. And he had done some other teaching. And people are wrestling with, who is this guy exactly? But, But then he goes into this village of Jericho. And he says to this man, Zacchaeus, whom everyone hates, this man who's a crook, who's a thief, a turncoat. He says to him, I'm going to your house, and everyone loses it. They say, what is this guy doing? This is not how religious men should behave. This can't be good conduct for, for a good, devout rabbi to go to the house of a sinner. Isn't he just giving approval to Zacchaeus? Right? Isn't this just giving tacit approval to the guy? Isn't this condoning his behavior? How could he go and eat and have fellowship with this guy, Zacchaeus? But Jesus goes, and uh, some time passes, and then look what happens next says, but Zacchaeus stood up. So presumably some time has passed. They're having a meal. Jesus has been talking to Zacchaeus. We don't know what he says, uh, but it, it's compelling. And so look what happens. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, he said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Something's going on in Zacchaeus's heart here not only does he say, I'm going to give half of my net worth away to poor people, he's going to give half of it away, but if anyone comes to me and they, and they claim that I've treated them unfairly, I will pay them back four times the amount. Now, in the Old Testament, there were specific laws, laws of restitution saying exactly how much you had to pay someone back if you stole from them, if you cheated them out of something. And usually the standard was about double. So if you cheated someone and they, they found, you know, they brought charges against you and you were found to be guilty, you have to pay back Double. Zacchaeus says, if anyone, if I've cheated anyone and they come to me, I'm going to pay them back four times, four times the amount. See, something has changed in this guy's heart. This is not just legal requirement stuff going on. He's not just trying to to do his duty here. It's a genuine change in his heart because Jesus showed up at his house and had fellowship with him and shared some amazing truth that Zacchaeus needed to hear. But watch what Jesus says next. Look at his response. Jesus said to him, you know, after seeing the evidence of of this change of heart, he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That means he's, he's a true son of the promise. He's a believer now. And then he goes on, clarifies his purpose right here. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What did Jesus come to do? Say it with me. To seek and to save the lost. He came to do a lot of different things, and, and surely he did a lot of things during his time on earth. But primarily, what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and save the lost. Now, now some of you are rightly saying, what on earth does that mean? To seek and save the lost? What does it mean to be lost? Uh, let me explain to you in this way. Uh, first of all, Jesus is talking about the issue of destiny. You know, when you're lost, one of the biggest problems of being lost is that you're not going to get where you're intending to go, right? When when you're lost, you may feel a little scared, you may feel frustrated, you may be annoyed. But the biggest problem with being lost is that unless you find your way, you're never going to get to your destination. You'll never find your destiny. And so what Jesus is saying, first and foremost, is he's saying he has come to deal with our destination or our destiny problem. See, back in the very beginning, we were created with a clear destiny. Our purpose, our destiny, was to be in relationship with God forever, to know him as a friend, to experience his love and provision, his kindness, his mercy, uh, to to, to walk with him and to be in communion with him. That was our purpose, to live forever with God. But then sin came into the world, human rebellion came into the world, and, and in essence, we walked away from the destiny that God created us for, and we began a new path, a path that was not Uh, going toward an eternity spent with God. But a path of death, a path of separation from God, we know it as hell. And and Jesus is saying that he came into the world to do something about that. He came into the world to change our destiny, to make it possible for us to have the destiny that God created us to have. But Jesus also makes something else clear. He says that he's the one who does this. My marker is leaking all over my hand. This is bad news. Uh, He said he's the one who came up here uh, to to do all of this. All right. Chris Pavola. (laughs) Um, So he came into the world to to help us us do this, to help us find our destiny. And uh, as we find our destiny, um, everything will begin to change for us. Uh, Jesus says that that this is his work, though, that he's the one who does this. So if you're lost in the woods and you're really, really lost and you try to find your way out and you can't find your way out, eventually what are you supposed to do? Someone said pray. (laughs) That too. It's amazing you guys have lived this long not knowing this. This is basic survival. (laughs) Eventually, what are you supposed to do? Stay still, right? If you can't find your way out, you sit and you wait until someone else comes along and finds you. Yeah? Yes. That's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) When when you're really lost, there's no sense in trying to find your way out unless you're male. Then just keep driving and pretend you know exactly where you're going. (laughs) When you're really lost, you need someone else to come alongside you to help you find your way. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the guy, right? I'm the seeker. I'm the one who comes into the world to find people who are lost, who will never find their way to this destiny. I'm the one who comes and redirects them toward the destiny they were meant to have. This is his work. This is what Jesus came to do, and he came to do it for everyone. So that when you breathe your final breath, you can know with assurance that your destiny is going to be with God. That's what Jesus wants for you that you're going to be with the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who all good things come from. And it doesn't matter if you're bad or good. And it doesn't matter the kind of person that you've been in your life up to this point. It doesn't matter how you've wronged people or how you've thumbed your nose at God. Jesus came into the world to seek and save lost people. And we are all lost people. And you can't be too lost for Jesus to find you. That's why he came. To change your destiny, but that 's only part of this. destiny's only part of the equation. Uh, the other part of the equation is this, uh, this whole issue of life, or I could say quality of life. See Jesus came into the world for that too, not just so that you could have an eternity with God someday but but according to the Bible, new life begins the moment of your baptism, new life begins when when God's spirit comes into your life that you are truly reborn into a new life that that you can never die from, a life that goes on forever. And and Jesus also came to help us figure out life because we're lost when it comes to life as well. We don't know our way around. You you know, sometimes uh, people ask this question, they'll say, okay, so if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he does it and it's his work and I just have to trust him and it's by faith and it's not by what I do, then why would I ever try to be a good person? If bad people get to go to heaven and good people go to heaven, why would I spend all of the energy trying to be good? I was just talking to a coworker and, and she was telling me about a conversation she had with a, with a friend who, uh, who, who, who doesn't know the love of Jesus yet in his life. And uh, And she was explaining to him grace and that Jesus has, has uh, done all the work for us and he forgives us and he can give us eternity forever and, and it doesn't matter for bad or good. And he says, let me get this straight. I could kill 18 people and uh, ask for forgiveness and God would forgive me? And she said, yeah, basically. And he said, oh, I, I need to check this out then, which kind of makes me nervous. Because <laughs> I'm not sure what that guy has in mind. But, um, but it's true, right? And so sometimes we ask this question, we say, well, if God's going to forgive me for all of that, then why would, I ever, why would I ever try? Well, because we're only thinking about half of what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. Yes, that refers to our destiny, to save us from a, a, a godless destiny. But he also came to save us from a meaningless life. Jesus came to do both. He doesn't want you to live an empty life. He doesn't want you to live a life of pain, of regret, of guilt, of shame. He wants to save you from that and he wants to save you for something better. It's what he wants for you. It's what he came to do. It's his whole purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And I want you to know, this isn't the only time that Jesus talks about this. Uh, In Luke chapter 5, earlier on, way before this in Luke 19, he said this. He said, It's not the healthy who need need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sounds kind of like what he said to Zacchaeus. Look at Luke 15 says, so I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Uh, one more, look at, look at Matthew uh, chapter 9. So Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. See, I could go on because there are a lot of places that Jesus makes reference to this. And basically what he's telling us is that he didn't come into the world to feed religious people good teaching. He didn't come into the world to wow us with miracles. He didn't come into the world to fight injustice. He he did come into the world for that, but that's not primarily why he came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. Is it becoming clearer? The reason this is so important, the reason that we need to get clarity on this is that, is that we cannot understand, we cannot have clarity on, on who we are and what we're supposed to be all about until we have clarity on who Jesus is. Because Jesus did something very interesting. Uh, when all was said and done and, and he had lived his life and, and uh, he was getting ready to go back to the right hand of the Father, he looked at a group of followers and he said this, he said, I'm getting ready to go to my Father and now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, our purpose and Jesus' purpose are inextricably linked. What Jesus said is, is that everything that he came to do, here's a symbol for Jesus, poorly drawn, everything that he came to do to help lost people find their destiny, to help them find life as it was meant to be lived, is now, now that he's not here, is our job. Okay? Everything that Jesus came to do is now our responsibility. Do you know how many times in the Bible it calls the church the body of Christ? I don't know either, but it's a lot. It's a whole lot. And do you understand what that's saying? It's saying that Jesus isn't physically here anymore to do this stuff. But this work isn't all done, and now we take the place of Jesus so that we are the physical manifestation of Jesus on this planet. That's our purpose. And so we represent all of the wonderful, amazing things that Jesus came into the world to do. We do all the things that he came into the world to do. But primarily, we do what Jesus came into the world to do primarily, to seek and to save the lost. Now sometimes, um, I I think we get this a little turned upside down, Uh, sometimes we act like God um, said, let there be church, and he instituted the church. And then the church did what churches do. They had a voters meeting. And they, and they gathered everyone together and they said, hey, church, now that we exist, we need a mission statement. And people looked in their Bibles to find like really good sounding pious statements. And someone brought out, all right, so here's the mission statement. And, and I think sometimes that's the way we think God moved when he started the church. He, he set apart a group of people and then he says, ah, we need something for this group of people. We need something for them to do. But that, in fact, is the exact opposite of what happened. See, almost from the beginning of time, God has been on a mission. And that mission was to save lost people. God, from the beginning of time, was on a quest to claim people that he created, that he meant for relationship with himself to bless and to give and to favor. His mission from the very beginning was to claim those people. So that's why we read the Old Testament, because we see that God's plan has always been the same. He's always been a God who's been pursuing lost people. And then in the fullness of time, he sent his son into the world, and Jesus came into the world to remove every barrier, every stumbling block, every obstacle that would get in the way of us being able to come back to God. So Jesus took our sin away because that that gets in the way between us and God. And and he took our guilt and our shame and he took our confusion and he took the deception and he took death and, and he made all of those things. He took them all away. He made them his servants. So now there's nothing that stands in the way between us and God. And so he said, the way is open. The work is done. It is finished. You can now come back to the Father. You can have a great life and the destiny that you were created to have. And yet, then he, as I said, turns and looks at us and says, but you know what? Not everyone knows what I've done. And so I want you to go tell them. And he says, let there be a church to continue this work, this mission. See, it's not like God created a church and then said, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to play bingo? Do you want to, like, go do car washes for the youth? Like, what is it that you want to do? God says, there is a mission. And this mission has been unfolding so that all nations will eventually come to know God again and be found. And now, church, uh, we were instituted. We were established, as our senior pastor Steve howard has been saying for years, that we are not the mission, but we were established by God. We were created by, established by God to accomplish the mission. And the mission is saving the lost. It's getting clearer. Uh, the mission's lost people. The mission is lost people, and that's why we exist. But, you know, our local church, um, some years ago, did get a meeting together of people. I don't know who was there. And uh, we came up with a mission statement. Uh, to actually say what we're all about. And this is our mission statement. I want to I show you this because there's something important here. Uh, our mission statement is to save the lost and strengthen the saved to live bold and courageous lives of Christian witness before a non-believing world. So uh, a lot of us, we read this mission statement, we say, oh, okay, I get it. So at St. John, we're about two things. Okay, we're about two things. We are about um, saving the lost, or S-T-L for saving the lost, not St. Louis, saving the lost. And we're about strengthening the saved. Saving the lost, strengthening the saved. Saving the lost, strengthening the saved. That's what we're here for, right? And uh, you know what? Some of you are good enough when you feel like we're getting this balance wrong and we're spending too much time saving the lost and not enough time strengthening the saved. Some of you are good enough to even send us emails to say, hey, 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 (laughs) we think you're spending way too much time here. Uh, you need to spend a little more time over here, because remember, we're about two things. We're about saving the lost and strengthening the saved. You're spending too much time on lost people, new people. You need to spend more time over here strengthening the saved, because, you know, otherwise you're not being faithful to our mission. And, uh, and we so appreciate when you do that. Maybe. Um, maybe we do. Um, but, but in fact, this, this is a misunderstanding of even our own mission statement. Not only is it a misunderstanding of what Jesus came to do, but it's a misunderstanding of our mission statement. We are not here to do two things. Let me show you this wording again. See, a lot of times we read this mission statement and we say, to save the lost, period. Uh, Or we say, to save the lost and strengthen the saved, period. To live bold and courageous lives of Christian witness before a non-believing world. So we say, all right, one thing, two things, so that we all can do this. That's not what this mission statement is supposed to say. Uh, What this mission statement is supposed to say is we exist to save the lost, period. And to strengthen the saved, to live bold and courageous lives of Christian witness before a non-believing world. So so what is the point of strengthening the saved? To live bold, say it with me, to live bold and courageous lives of Christian witness before a non-believing world. It's not two things. It's one thing. See, it's not two things. Strengthening the saved is all about saving the lost. It's all one thing. This is a strategy to do this, but our mission is the same mission that Jesus had for his mission, the same mission that God has been on since the beginning of time. Our mission is to save the lost. Is it getting clearer? And I want you to know that this means everything, being clarified on why we exist. If we are not clear on this, as I said in the beginning, everything that we do, um, will not be what it could be. But when we're clear on our purpose, when we understand it, God will do amazing things in our midst. And he is. Uh, I feel badly that we don't do a good enough job telling you about that. Because we should. Uh, for instance, you know, just a couple of months ago, I got an email from this guy. And this guy, uh, he said, you don't know me. I've never been to your church, but I want to be baptized by you. Can I talk to you about that? <laughs> so I'm like, uh, back up. What? You've never been to our church, but you want to be baptized What's going on? And uh, so we, we had some email dialogue, and, and uh, here's what happened. Uh, this guy was at work, and he had been wrestling with some pretty heavy life issues and uh, not finding answers. And so he started asking his coworker, saying, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? And one of his coworkers is a guy who goes here. And uh, it just so happened that what we had talked about the weekend before was the answer to this guy's question. And, and he said, You know what? Um, you should listen to what We just talked about it at my church last weekend. Wrote down the website. Said, go to the website. You can get this message and uh, listen to it. And so the guy did. He went home. He listened to that message on that life issue. And he he discovered that there were other messages there. And he listened to those. He discovered we had a live stream. He started watching that. And in his own words, he said, in six weeks' time. I mean, he devoured every bit of content on our website. Everything he could listen to. Everything he could watch. And and in six-week time, he said he learned more about who God was, what God's plan was for his life, what Jesus had done for him, than in 30-some years of searching. Yeah. And so he said, you know what? I've never actually stepped foot in your church, but man, your church is the place where I have found Jesus and I want to be baptized. I've never been baptized. I want to be baptized there. And so he came in and it was a private service and we gathered some staff people. He came with his one coworker friend. We gathered some staff people. Staff people. We baptized him right up here on this platform and uh, he's on a life journey with Jesus now. It's amazing, isn't it? Right? <laughs> that stuff doesn't happen. Unless we're clear on our purpose, because let me explain a few things that had to happen in order for that to happen. First of all, we had to decide that it was worth spending a lot of money on cameras so that we could do live streaming. And some of you look at that and you go, what a waste. Why would you ever spend money on that? You could do so many better things. We spend money on that because there are guys like this guy who would not ever step foot in our church, but they'll watch a service from home and they will get to know the love of God we're just removing a barrier from their from, from, from their path. Uh, we had to spend money on a website and design a website that was not just good for for our membership, but a website that'd be good for anyone who came. And, and we had to do that so we could put resources there for anyone to find. We had to make a decision that we were going to start preaching longer messages, which some of you hate, right? You're like, what happened to the old, old, good old 15 minutes and you're out, you know, done message and you know, we could preach 15-minute messages, and we could just take all the shortcuts, and I could say, remember Zacchaeus? And you'd be like, oh yeah, we know Zacchaeus, and we wouldn't even have to go to Luke 19, would we? You'd be like, yeah, he was short, and he climbed a tree, and Jesus... Because that's what church people can do. We, we know that stuff. But we had to make a decision that we were going to start teaching the Word of God in a way that people who knew nothing about God or nothing about the Bible could understand. And some of you are frustrated by that, but, but I'll tell you, this guy who, who was baptized here a couple of, a couple of months ago... He said that that was the difference for him. He would go to church and he would hear pastors talk and it didn't make any sense. He couldn't understand it and he just said, Thank you for talking to guys like me so I could get this, so I could understand who Jesus is and what God has done for me. Do you see? Clarity makes all the difference in the world. It makes the difference between being fruitful and faithful and wasteful. And I got to tell you, we don't always get it right. We would never claim that as leaders of this church. But together, God is doing fruitful things through us. Uh, Some of you remember, uh, probably a decade ago, uh, we did a big campaign called 40 Days of Purpose, and we read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren. A lot of you are here for that, I think, and a lot of you read the book. Do you remember the first line of that book? First line, first sentence of that book? Yeah, someone said it. Say it louder, you're right. It's not about you. It's not about you. Now, now this just galls me that every once in a while we'll say that from the platform and we get angry emails, and Rick Warren writes that and he sells millions of books. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. I guess it's because he's not your pastor. If you're your pastor, you wouldn't like it either. But, you know, I understand why we don't like to hear that. Because it sounds harsh. Maybe it sounds unloving. Maybe it makes you feel like we're, we're saying you're petty, or you're small, or you're somehow unimportant. But that's not true. That's, that's not, that's not uh, the reason we say that. The reason we say that it, is because we have to say that over and over again because by doing that, we're actually doing you a favor. A life that's all about you is not the life that you want. And if you don't believe me, just go read the tabloids. Right? You'll see a bunch of people, famous, wealthy, most of whom have made a life all about themselves, and they are miserable. Is that freedom? Is that what you call happiness? I don't. Turn on the Kardashians. Watch them for a while. They are a train wreck, right? That is what life that's all about you will turn into. We love you too much to ever let you make that mistake of thinking that life is all about you. See, the truth is that uh, when you start to live, as Jesus told you to live, living a life that's not all about you, but that's about others and, and seeking and saving the lost, the truth is that's where you'll find really good life. The Christian life well-lived is not without benefit. Do you know that? See, the more you live according to what God says, the better life gets in a lot of ways. Not always easy, but better. I mean, Jesus himself said, if you want to live a little more, the key is to die a little more. And by dying, you'll live. So as church leaders, we would be doing you no favors if we ever let our mission drift. If we ever let the reason we exist drift away from this to just becoming, you know, about, about taking care of our kids and providing a nice social life for us, or maybe trying to make our community a better place. I mean, may we be cursed with Montezuma's revenge and chronic halitosis? If we ever let what God has called us to do degrade into, into that, because not only would we be disobedient to the call of Jesus and the work of Jesus, But we'd be sentencing all of you, all of us, to a really, really empty existence. It's not about you. And that's a good thing. It's about what it's been in the heart of God since nearly the beginning of time. It's about seeking and saving the lost. And i got to tell you, in case you haven't figured this out, we'll talk about this more in weeks to come, but this is not just a corporate reality. This is intensely personal. This is the reason you exist too. Not just for yourself, not for your family, but you exist to seek and save lost people. And the quicker you figure that out, the quicker you embrace that, the quicker you get clear on that and align your life around that, the better it'll be. Just, just one more quick story and then I'm done. This is powerful. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, we were at a service and a, a family came in who has never been to our church. Not only have they never been to our church, they have never been in a church in their whole entire lives. And they came into our church because it was the church nearest their house that they knew of, and they were having some serious life, tr- life trouble, and they came looking for answers. And at the back door, as they came in, they met one of our awesome hospitality volunteers. And, and, and it just, the way God orchestrated it is that the woman that they met was a woman who gets this. You know, she, she gets what the purpose of her life is. She gets why we exist. She understands why she exists And so she took time to to get to know them and to minister to them. And uh, she brought them up to me after the service so so I could pray with them and hear some of their struggle. And uh, that was all fine and good. I do that a lot. But then she took it a step further. She she got their contact number and their email address. And she has been making contact with them every day since. She's personally been going over to their house to do Bible study with them. To explain to them who Jesus is because they've never heard. They don't know. They're from a different culture. They have no idea. And i got to tell you, last night, they've been faithful in church ever since. Last night, uh, they came up again with her, same volunteer. They came up with her, and they stood before me. And, and, and the two, uh, two, two of the women in the family said, oh, we are ready to be baptized. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're praying that, that the evil one won't get in the way, and that, that next weekend, uh, Saturday night, they're going to be baptized in our service. And, and you know, that's what happens Uh, when you're clear on your purpose. I looked at this woman, this volunteer who's gone way above and beyond, and I looked at her face, and and I could tell in that moment there is nothing that she would rather do with her life than what God used her to do in the lives of of this family. It's absolutely incredible. So uh, today I want to close up just praying for that kind of clarity. So you stand on your feet as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being so clear on your purpose. For never once diverting or wavering or getting confused about what mattered to you. But God, since the beginning of time, keeping us as the apple of your eye, keeping us as the focus of your work. God, um, I, we stand here and, and we, we know the reality of our lives. We know our hearts. We are broken people. Sometimes we're confused people. A lot of times we're far worse than that. And yet, God, you, you've made it, you, you just made it your work. Uh, your, your, for thousands of years, your work to claim people like us and to save us from an empty life and to save us from an eternity without you and to save us for an existence that's rich and full. And God, we thank you because without you, nothing would matter. This would all be empty. Thank you for sending your Son Jesus into the world to do what we could never do for ourselves, for, for seeking us and finding us and claiming us. And God, we pray that by your spirit now that you'd give us clarity about why we're here, together and why we're here individually, that you would help us understand why we exist and that you'd help us see what that looks like in our lives. God, keep the evil one away who would like to make us confused and deluded and and deceived about why we're here, who would love to to make us lost again and to, to confuse the issue. God, by your spirit, give us clarity. We pray this all in the strong and powerful, the good, the holy, the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. We pray that today you'd make clear to us